welcome everybody to your favorite Friday night podcast, The Paranormal Umbrella. And tonight, back by popular demand, Creepy Pasta Readings by Suthan Kellick. We have two stories for you tonight, and uh, I will give you a warning right now ahead of time before we go into the readings. Both stories include a few cuss words. Um, some not safe for work details, including murder, mayhem, chaos, drug use, and unaliving oneself. So or if any of these things are your triggers, things that you cannot sit through and listen to, then I suggest not listening to this podcast tonight. Um, if this is something that you can listen to, please Stay. You are welcome. We would love for you to stay and listen. They are both really, really good stories, and one of them is going to hit you right in the feel balls, like right in the weenus. So if you got Kleenex, I suggest getting them if you are an emotional person because it's going to get you. It's going to be raw and detailed. So there is your warning for both stories. And uh, <clears throat> please don't take it with a grain of salt because it is, these are very emotional, very raw stories. So with that being said, we are going to go into our first story and it is called, Please Don't Play the Face Game. The face game can be played by four or more people. Players must begin the game alone and in absolute darkness. In any sources, if any sources of light or observers are present, the game will fail, but the game itself is simple. Players stand in a circle with one player in the center. The player in the center is called the judge. The players who form the circle are called the pretenders. In the center of the circle, the judge spins counterclockwise while the pretenders rotate clockwise around them. The players continue to spin until the judge announces in a loud voice, I wonder, I wonder whose face I will find. The pretenders then freeze and take three steps back, widening the circle. The judge can no longer be sure who or what is standing where. They must approach the first pretender and attempt to identify them by touching their face. If the judge touches any part of a pretender apart from their face, or if a pretender moves or speaks, the game fails. A pretender can sneer, scrunch up their nose, or otherwise manipulate their face to make themselves more difficult to identify. When the judge is confident about a pretender's identity, the judge announces loudly, this face belongs to the pretender's full true name. If the judge is incorrect, the face game ends. Otherwise, the game continues and the judge approaches the next pretender. If the judge correctly identifies all of the pretenders, the judge wins and the face game ends. If a pretender successfully deceives the judge, the pretenders win and the face game ends. There is, however, a third possible outcome. During the face game, it is possible that the judge might touch a face that they are unable to identify, a face that belongs to someone or something 
that wasn't present when the game began, the outsider. The judge must take their time with the face of the outsider being sure to touch every part. They must not be discouraged or frightened by weeping sores, strange protrusions, or squirming things beneath the outsider's flesh. Even if the outsider bites the judge, licks them, or makes its skin abrasive, the judge must continue until they have touched every part of the outsider's face. The pretenders must remain in their places. They must not move or speak, regardless of any foul odors, unnatural sounds, or changes in temperature that the outsider might produce. When the judge has completely touched every part of the outsider's face, they must loudly announce, I do not know who this face belongs to, but surely it is the most beautiful face of all. The outsider then disappears and the face game ends. However, if the pretender moves or speak, if the pretenders move or speak, if the judge fails to completely touch the outsider's face or doesn't pronounce the game ending phrase correctly, or if the outsider successfully impersonates one of the pretenders, the outsider wins the face game. And what happens if the outsider wins the face game? My best friends and I found out on Halloween night, 1999. Light as a feather, stiff as a board, light as a feather, stiff as a board, the five of us chanted, but Amy didn't budge. My fingers hurt. I was starting to sweat in Clara's stuffy, unfinished basement, and I thought that choosing our heaviest friend for the witchy ritual might not have been the best idea. I wanted desperately for it to work. I think we all did. Mostly because now that we're 12, Halloween has started to seem sort of lame. Erica had stolen her brother's copy of Scream, but it hadn't made us jump and shriek the way we used to. Eating so much candy had made us all feel sick to our stomachs, and the flickering tea candles Christina had set up felt cliche instead of spooky. We all wanted that special Halloween magic back, even if it was just for one more night. The basement door opened with a creak. We all jumped and let Amy drop. Ow! Amy groaned, clutching her head. Clara's older sister, Holly, stood backlit by the rectangle of light at the top of the basement stairs. Are you still trying to do that stupid trick? Holly sneered. You know it's fake, right? Now, Holly was two years older than us, and according to herself, about ten times cooler. Maybe it was just the sweltering basement or my frustration with how disappointing Halloween night but I suddenly just couldn't take any more of Holly's superiority complex. Oh, let me guess, I snapped. I bet you know one that really works, right? Oh, how I wish I could take those words back now. Holly's mouth opened and closed soundlessly a few times. She couldn't believe that one of her little sister's friends had actually talked back to her. I do, Holly spat when her jaw finally started working again and I'll prove it. She slammed the basement door on her way out, and we could hear Clara's parents haranguing her upstairs. We all looked at each other and giggled. Holly was gone a long time. Here, she stormed down the stairs and shoved a sheet of printed paper in my hands. The face game, read the header. 
This isn't the same game. This isn't some game you knew about, I snorted. You just printed it off from somewhere. Look, the ink's not even dry. You're just too scared to play it. Anyway, I'm going to go talk to my boyfriend, so do not come upstairs. Holly shouted over her shoulder before slamming the door and getting yelled at again. We read through the instructions several times. It didn't seem complicated, but even as a preteen, I wondered about the face game. It seemed so simple, so anonymous. Who had created the face game? Why? At the time, I didn't have any answers. The five of us stood in a circle waiting for Clara's parents to click off the television and go to bed. When the house was finally quiet, we began. I volunteered to be the judge. It had looked easy on paper, but spinning in circles in Clara's stuffy pitch black basement went to my head immediately. I had barely twirled five times when the floor began to wobble beneath my feet. I wonder, I wonder, whose face will I find? I shouted queasily starting the game. It had sounded like there were a lot more than just my friend's footsteps circling around me in the dark. But when I spoke, all sounds stopped. Standing dizzily in the complete darkness made me feel like an astronaut from one of the documentaries we watched in school, floating alone in the lightless, hostile void of space. With a shiver, I took a step forward, then another. Where were my friends? I held my hands out in front of me and staggered blindly forward. When my fingers touched flesh, I nearly shrieked, a face. Finally, the first one was easy. It was a round face with soft, pudgy features. And if that weren't enough, there wasn't a drip of sweat on it. That meant it could only belong to Amy, the girl we tried lift to lift with our spell. I felt around her face just to be sure, then called out, this face belongs to Amy Leanne McCade. I heard Amy let out a sigh of relief. No one else spoke. The game would go on. The next face was bony and twitchy. Whoever it was didn't want to make it easy for me. They wrinkled their nose and lips so much for a terrifying moment, I thought I was touching the outsider described in the rules. But then I realized that whatever I was touching trimmed its eyebrows and used strawberry shampoo. Only one person I knew was such a pain. This face belongs to Clara Simmons. Ha! Wrong! Christina laughed. Suddenly, footsteps, a banged knee, cursing. Kelsey flipped the lights back on. I was st standing in front of Christina. Clara was after her in the circle. The darkness had made my made me more sensitive to smell, I suppose. And besides, I figured that only Clara would try to trip me up. I'd forgotten how sneaky Christina could be. My friends, the pretender, had won the face game. I felt my cheeks burning. Holly's stupid paper printout game had been more difficult than I thought, and I looked and felt like an idiot. I was angry with them, but even more angry with myself. Well, since you won, Christina, why don't you be the judge next? I challenged her. Christina just shrugged. I realized that none of the others understood what I was so angry about. They didn't understand the tension and the fear that came with being the judge, that weird sensation of touching a suddenly unfamiliar face in the dark. Before I knew it, the lights clicked off.
and we began to spin. I don't know if Christina had a higher tolerance for dizziness or if she just wanted to show off, but she twirled for what felt like forever. Candy sloshed sickeningly in my stomach, and I wondered what would happen if someone passed out during the face game. I wonder, I wonder whose face will I find? Christina sighed in a sing-song voice. We froze. After taking three steps back, that feeling was back. The sensation of being alone in the universe. There was nothing to do but wait for hands to touch my face. I heard shuffling feet, wiggling, a barely stifled giggle. This face belongs to Clara Simmons. Clara groaned. Christina moved on. She barely took two minutes to identify the next pretender. This face belongs to Erica Rebecca Moss. Christina was moving fast, maybe too fast. I heard her uncertain footsteps as she nearly walked outside the circle and had to double back, feeling her way through the dark just as I had. Suddenly, Christina gasped, then silence. What was taking her so long? And when had Clara's basement gotten so cold? I shivered. If it weren't for the total darkness, I was sure I would have been able to see my breath. A foul smell like rotten eggs invaded my nostrils. Something was wrong. I desperately wanted to ask Christina what was going on. And yet, if a pretender moves or speaks, the outsider wins the face game. I heard a sick, gurgling noise, followed by another more recognizable sound. Was Christina weeping? I do not know whose face this is, Christina sobbed. But surely it is the most... <laughs> I couldn't take any more. I, I didn't care what happened after the game ended. It just had to stop. I stumbled forward into the pitch blackness, feeling for the light switch. I should have slipped on bean bags and candy wrappers or slammed into the basement furniture. I should have found the stick. But the darkness, it just seemed to go on forever. Clara? Christina? I asked nervously. No response. It was like my friends had been swallowed up. I wrapped my arms around myself against the chill, but it was useless. The cold penetrated all the way to the bone. When I held my jaw to stop my teeth from chattering, I thought for sure I could hear someone screaming. But it felt very far away. No matter how far I walked forward or backwards, I couldn't reach the basement wall. I knelt down and touched the floor. Instead of Clara's carpet, I touched something as cold and smooth as ice. Is, is anyone there? I cried. From somewhere behind me, I heard a low rumbling sound that might have been laughter. The next thing I knew, I was blind.
<sighs> a dark figure surrounded by light shouted down at me. What are you twerps doing down here? Mom and dad are pissed. I knew that voice. Clara's older sister, Holly, at the top of the stairs once more. My friends were scattered around the basement like broken toys, terrified and exhausted. All except Christina. Christina stood in the center of the room, her face expressionless. She opened and closed her fingers and toes as if using them for the first time. She wiggled the muscles in her face as though trying to understand how to move them. And then she smiled. Your stupid game didn't work, Christina yelled up the stairs. The rest of us looked at each other. It had worked too well. Christina had touched the outsider. She should know that better than anyone, and yet, of course it didn't work. Holly rolled her eyes. I just printed it out from some message board so you losers wouldn't bother me while I was talking to Brandon. He doesn't even like you, Christina said flatly. What? Holly's eyes grew wide. Why don't you ask Brandon what he did with Shelly Spicer from second period at Alex Hoffield's homecoming party? Christina sneered. How, how do you know about that? Holly stammered. Anyway, Brandon didn't even go. He told me he didn't go. That wasn't what he told Shelly. Ask him. You'll see. Without another word, Holly slammed the door. We all just stared. What? Christina shrugged, examining her fingernails. Holly Simmons is a bitch. She deserved it. Chris? What happened to you? I asked. <sighs> Christina snorted. Don't tell me you're still talking about that stupid game. Just, just before everything got weird, you found the outsider, didn't you? I heard you. But surely it is the most beautiful face of a, don't tell me you actually fell for that. Christina threw her head back and laughed. I was just messing with you. You're still such a baby. I mean, none of the rest of you were scared, right? Christina looked from face to face. One by one, each of my friends shook their heads. I couldn't believe it. I'd seen how bewildered and frightened they were when the face game finally ended. I knew that, like me, they'd been shivering and lost, trapped in that cold, dark other place. I felt betrayed, but I couldn't blame them. There was a menacing new look in Christina's glare as though something ancient and cruel was staring out from behind her eyes. I think, on a deeper level, I already knew the truth. The real Christina was gone forever, trapped in that freezing abyss, and maybe even destined to become an outsider herself. The thing that had come back inside her shell was something else entirely, an outsider, and it had no problem turning my friends against me. 
we were young, impressionable, and to be honest, af afraid of what Christina had become. Throughout the fall and into the winter, Christina followed me. In the whirl of corner leaves as the yellow school bus rounded the corner, just outside my bathroom stall at school, standing in the snow outside my bedroom window. She never spoke, but the message was clear. Never speak of what you know. Once she was confident of my, confident of my silence, Christina, or the thing inside her, got to work on its favorite pastime, destroying the lives of people around her. Her parents divorced, citing irreconcilable differences. But I knew the real reason. They wanted to escape from their daughter. They wanted to escape from the outsider. In time, Christina's sadistic games drove Kelsey and Erica away. They became her new targets. And the way she teased them throughout high school crossed the line from bullying to torture more than once. Those who stayed close to her weren't so lucky. She got Clara hooked on heroin her junior year. And Amy was killed in a car crash when Christina blackmailed her into driving drunk on prom night. Sometimes it was over quickly. Sometimes it dragged out for years. But Christina always wrung every drop of suffering she could from the people around her before throwing them away. To her, or it, suffering seemed to be sort of a game. I usually kept my distance from hometown gossip, but in Christina's case, it was like being the spectator to a horrific natural disaster. I just couldn't look away. In dive bars and beauty salons, I learn of the careers she's left in ruins, the relationships she's wrecked, the pain and death that followed her like a black cloud. Eventually, she wound up in prison. Given her love of cruel games, manipulation, and control, I'm sure she enjoyed every minute of it. I ran into one of the correctional officers who worked in her unit by chance a few years later. His name was Mark. He'd gone to high school with Christina and I, and like me, he was now terrified of her. I noticed a cast on his left arm. She basically rules the cell block. The inmates are all afraid of her, and so are the guards. You should hear the stories that the cops tell. The ones who arrested her in the first place, they said she was crawling up the walls like a goddamn spider. And that's not even the worst of it. We were standing in the aisle of a busy supermarket, but I suddenly felt cold and alone, like I had when we played the face game. Mark looked over his shoulder before continuing. The worst part is how she manipulates people. Know what I mean? I did. I thought of Erica with her head in a high school toilet. Clara with a needle in her arm. Amy's arm hanging out of the door of a car wrapped around a tree. The other day, we caught her in an empty storage room with some of the other inmates. All of the lights were off and they were playing some sort of 
game. I shivered. But Mark went on. We put her into solitary confinement after that, and solitary breaks everybody. I've seen the toughest gangsters and most psychotic killers cry like babies after just a few days of solitary, but not her, not Christina. We could see her on the camera, just staring into space. Mark trailed off. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> I'm... I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I seem a little freaked out by all of this. It's just, I was one of the CEOs who interrupted whatever game they were playing. And when the lights flickered on, I'd swear I saw something dark and horrible standing in that circle. Standing right in the middle with the rest of them. It disappeared right away, and then... Well, then I tried to put cuffs on Christina, and she just snapped my wrist like a goddamn twig. He gestured to his arm. Look, don't tell many people in town about this, okay? I don't need everybody thinking I'm scared of some girl from high school. But he was scared. We both were. Especially after I told him my side of the story. Mark believed me, and we kept tabs on Christina as best we could. But after she got out of prison, the trail went cold. It's only been a few weeks now, but I've noticed a disturbing trend. More and more people seem to be talking about the face game. When my friends and I played the face game, it was just some anonymous printout from an online chat room. Now it seemed to be showing up everywhere in viral videos, in the conversations of kids walking home from school. Mark even found the rules of the face game stapled to a telephone pole near his house. It could only mean one thing. The outsider wearing Christina's skin is spreading the word about the face game. Is it trying to bring more of its kind to our world? Or maybe find its way back where it came from. I don't have any answers. But I want I walk through the streets of my old hometown, looking at all the happy expressions of families out for an autumn evening stroll, I hear a sing-song voice repeating in my mind. I wonder, I wonder, whose face will I find? Yay. And now we are moving on to our second story of the night, which I hope you guys like the face game because I really did. It's kind of creepy. I like the way it turned out. Um, but the second story of the night, as I have warned at the beginning, is uh, a story about someone being unalived. Um, there are accidents. Uh, there is drug use, there is mild cussing, and if any of these are your triggers, I suggest that you not listen to this story. This may be the point where you bow out gracefully, and no one will blame you for doing so. But it's also going to pull at your heartstrings. So have that Kleenex ready, because it's coming. 
The title of this story is What Happens When the Stars Go Out. The red lights are only making the pain worse. It's an immense earth-shattering pain in my midsection and in my head. I try to move, but I can't. I try to speak, but I can't do that either. It hurts too much. And my voice obeys me no more than do my joints or my muscles or my bones or my mind. And yet, still, there's movement. I can feel myself being lifted up and placed on something. A bed, maybe, or no, a gurney. All right, one of the EMTs says, and several others then roll me into the back of an ambulance and climb in behind me. But I'm already fading fast and feeling an inexplicable heat by the time the door shut. One EMT, a blonde woman, shoots me a curious look just as I'm slipping away and says aloud, wait, wait, I think I know. We're made of that stuff, right? I turned around. There was a woman there, red-haired and about my age, give or take, and she was alarmingly beautiful. But how long she'd been staring at the exhibit alongside me, I had no idea. I'm sorry? I said, you know we're made of that stuff, right? She nodded at the museum wall, which depicted in detail the births and life cycle and deaths of stars and pursed my lips. We're made of stars? Yep. Isn't it awesome? She stepped up beside me and I moved her arm across the diagram as she spoke. I just watched a documentary about it last night. Stars are just fusion factories held together by their own gravity. They start off fusing hydrogen to helium, right? And then they keep going on and on, fusing heavier and heavier elements until they're fusing the heaviest stuff. Then they exhaust their fuel and collapse under their own weight. And they blow off their outer layers and pretty much shower the galaxy with all these random elements, some of which are eventually used to create life. Huh. Yeah. I'm Robin, by the way. She extended her hand, and I shook it. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm Brian. It's nice to meet you. There was an awkward pause before I said, all right, I got one for you. If you replaced the sun with a black hole, what would happen? Well, it depends on its mass. Nope. The answer is, drum roll, please. Nothing. I mean, everything would get dark and cold, but we wouldn't fall in. Earth's orbit would remain entirely unaffected. If, she said, the black hole had the same mass as the sun. What? What you said would only be true if the black hole in question happened to have the same mass as the sun. Which it wouldn't, because the sun isn't massive enough to collapse into a black hole. Oh. Damn. Yep. Me one, you zero. Sorry, pal. All right. I said, you're on. Whoever gets the most points by closing time, by streaks. She smiled at that and punched me in the shoulder just light enough not to sting. All right, loser. 
come? On, the EMT says. There's a flurry of activity around me, and there are voices, too, and blinding lights and a cooling down of that monstrous heat. One of the paramedics is looking me over. Then he looks to another colleague, the blonde woman, and he shakes his head slowly. This one's gone, Rachel. But she continues running tests, running diagnostics, placing a soft hand on my arm in case I'm awake enough to appreciate the comfort. I am. Barely. But I'm fading fast and that heat is coming right on back as I do. Not yet he's not, she says. There's pain in her voice that she does her best to conceal. I already lost one earlier, Todd. I'm not losing. Another one, Robin said. And I laughed and agreed and we rushed to the back of the line. See? Told you you'd like the Ferris wheels. I can't believe you've never been on one before today. She shrugged. Never thought they were as extreme as roller coasters. So I wasn't interested. Well, they're not supposed to be extreme. Ferris wheels are for all the parents waiting on their kids and sick people trying to relax their stomachs so they don't puke funnel cake all over the pavement. She smiled. And adorable young couples, apparently. And just then, we were waved into the next seat. We sat ourselves down, and moments later, the great wheel began to groan and protest and, finally, to turn. It dragged our cart around its underside and then lifted it up, up, up to the top of its crest, where we could see the whole city at twilight and the ships in the harbor that were backlit red with the setting sun and the clouds that were lined at their tops with just a little bit of starlight. Robin snuggled up next to me and put her head on my shoulder and I put my arm around her waist. For a moment then, I could have sworn the empty seat in front of us moved on its own and I furrowed my brow. But then Robin spoke. Thank you so much for being here with me. She said, I didn't respond with words. I just kissed her on the head and held her tight as the wheel began taking us. Down on the 1800 block of Gartersdale, one of the EMTs said. Yeah, yeah, another one I know. Hell of a fucking night, isn't it? The conversation is muffled again in short order. I'm drifting in and out, but the jostling of the room and the sounds of an engine tell me we're still in the ambulance. The other paramedics, for their part, continue running tests and checking my vitals, and as they work, I try to remember what's happened, but it hurts. Damn it, does it hurt. Almost as much as that rushing heat, and the effort is further disrupted when the ambulance hits a bump in the road, and I nearly spill out on the gurney. But Rachel puts her, her steadying hand on my chest and says, Hang in there, Brian. We're almost... There, Robin pointed at the interstate ramp, and I took the turn and put St. Thomas Vineyard away in the rear view. Still can't believe Mason got married, I said. He's only known that girl for what, a year? Less? Robin shrugged. They were in love. They hardly knew each other. They don't know if whatever they're feeling is genuine, lifelong love, 
or just new relationship googly eyes that hasn't worn off yet. I guarantee it. And I'll put money on this. They'll be done within a year. Just watch. You don't know that, she said. There is a brief pause. And then she added, we've been dating for two years. So? So how far off do you think we are? I shrugged. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. You haven't thought about it at all. I mean, of course I've thought about it. I just, I don't know if we're ready, you know? I looked over at her, but she just stared out there at the rain with her chin in her palm. So I continued. Think about it like this. People prepare their whole lives for jobs, right? They start going to school as soon as they can talk, and they're not done till they're in their 20s. And it's all so they can get a piece of paper that says, hey, hire my ass. I'm smart enough to work. But marriage? Nobody trains for that shit. People just hook up and say, hey, we're 25 or 28. You're cute. I'm cute. Let's spend $15,000 on a giant ceremony. And then let us glorified roommates for five years until we're both fat and hate each other and get divorced because neither one of us knew or cared how much work this thing would actually require. There was a longer pause then before she said with a degree of seriousness, I wasn't in the least bit prepared for. Is that where you think we're headed? Glorified roommates? Quickly, I calculated an avenue of retreat, but I calculated wrong. No, not you, I said, not us. I mean, most people, you know, most people just dive in and either get divorced or stick it out till someone gets heart disease. The divorce rate is more than 50% now in the U.S., by the way, but the I don't love you anymore rate, shit. That's probably close to like 90 by the time everyone hits middle age. I just want to make sure you're the right person, you know? If ever there were words I wish I could have taken back, it were those 12. She said nothing. But I saw her reflection in the window. And the little tear that welled up in the corner of her eye said more than words ever could. Listen, I, that came out wrong. I just meant, can you drop me off at my car, please? I thought you wanted to come over. I don't feel good. Please. And we drove in silence for a while as the rain picked up its pace and fell in sheets and in torrents. After another 20 minutes, I made the turn onto my street and parked. And once I did, she got out without so much as a glance and walked across the road to her own car. I ran to follow. Robin, wait! I grabbed her lightly by the arm. It was slick with rainwater. Talk to me, please. What do you want? What do you want? I blinked. I want you to talk to me. I just, no. I mean with us, where do you want this to go? 
Where do I want this to go? I asked. I want to be with you. Listen, I didn't mean to imply that, that I don't want that. I just want us to be smart about it, you know? Well, maybe love isn't something you can calculate on a fucking spreadsheet, Brian. She was shouting over the cacophony of the storm. Maybe, maybe it's just this thing you feel. You know, and maybe it doesn't make any damn logical sense. Maybe it's not supposed to, but that's part of what makes it special. It's an adventure. It's a jump off a cliff with me type of thing. And yeah, sure, not everyone survives the fall, I guess. But if you find the right person, then a jump off the cliff with me type of adventure? Come on, Robin. We're not writing up a damn dating website profile here. This is real life. There are kids involved and finances and house buying and mortgages and all that shit. Not every day is some cute little romance comedy. This is half your life we're talking about here. Two thirds even, okay? All I meant was that you have to be prepared for it. I just, I thought we were prepared. I thought we were prepared, Brian. What do you mean? She dug through her purse for a moment and then held up a ring that was brilliant even when covered in the rain. I felt my heart skip at least a full beat. Is, is that, um, is that what? It was my mom's, she said. She gave it to me before she died. She said, find your partner in crime, Robin. Find someone who'll sweep you off your feet and jump off a cliff with you. There was a pause before she added. And at the time she said it, I thought I knew exactly who that person was. I tried for a moment but I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that there was no combination of words in the English language that could be strung together to write this shit. <sighs> Goodbye, Brian. She kissed me on the cheek and rubbed the back of her hand on down it. And then she turned and got in her Civic and drove off until I couldn't see her taillights at all through the pouring of the Rain's coming down hard, boys, another of the EMTs said. Careful when you unload him. There were grunts of acknowledgement, and then the back of the ambulance flew open, and the sound of the storm utterly exploded into it. I felt the rush of the wind and the rain pelting my skin in sheets, and together they helped a bit with the oncoming heat that still I couldn't place. And then I felt movement. The gurney dipped and hit the pavement while the paramedics held me down. And then there were shouts and lights and running feet and then the hospital door. Open, I shouted. The man behind the counter shot me a look, but I shouted it again over the sound of rainfall and through the glass. I said, are you open? And then he pointed at the sign saying the opposite and went back to reading.
but I wasn't taking no for an answer. I dug out my wallet and pulled a 20 from the fold and slapped it flat up against the glass. Within seconds, the paper was soaked with rainwater, but it got his attention. And he rolled his eyes and the door clicked and whirled and slid open. Make it quick, man. I know, I know, I will. Thank you so much. I ran down the aisles and then, true to my word, made it back to the counter in less than a minute. The man put down his book and proceeded to sail. Date night, he said, as he bagged the card after the flowers, I smiled a bit, something like that. And then I thanked him and ran back out to my car and got inside. I took out the card and scribbled on its inner sleeve the words, jump off a cliff. With me, with me, a doctor running along the, alongside the cart motioned to some nurses in the hall and they ran to follow. He turns to the EMTs. Is he stable? He's slipping, heart rate's falling, breathing slowing, not good. Mumbled something about being too hot earlier, but if anything, his temperature's too low. Someone shows the doctor a chart. He reads it as he runs, and his face is grim. Shit. All right, he says, let's... Move! I shout at the car in passing. Just a little rain, assholes. But it wasn't. It was a lot of rain. Sheets and buckets and torrents of it, in fact. It long since turned the dirt to mud, and it swept up against my windshield like ocean surf. And the road was slick with little rivers of it as it ran on down past the pebbles. I was going far, far too fast for such conditions, but I didn't care about that, the doctor said. I just want to get his fluids up, Rachel. The woman from the ambulance runs up and discusses my condition in harsh whispers with the doctor. As I fade and as that damn heat floods back in, it becomes impossible to hear what they're saying, but it's abundantly clear from the body language she hadn't given up. Hope for a reunion with these guys? Well, Bowen and Snake say they're against it entirely, so that doesn't bode well. But on the other hand, Sebastian said on multiple occasions that he was willing to do it for the fans. And look what happened with Guns N' Roses. A few years ago, nobody would have thought they'd get back together. I switched the radio off and then wrapped both hands around the wheel with such force the knuckles turned white on the grip. The car hit 70 miles per hour, 75, 79. The windshield wipers were flying, but they were going fast as fuck. I slammed my foot on the brakes as the lights of activity in the road came in out of nowhere from the rain. The car jolted and shuddered and fought for traction with the pavement, and I felt the tires squeal and the metal of the car grind and... Protest? I don't care if he wants to protest, the doctor snaps back. You tell him to wait in the damn lobby like everyone else. The nurse accepts her orders and heads back out into the hallway. I'm sorry, sir, she says. You can't see him until... Until what? That's my son in there. That's my son. That's... And then there was a scuffle of feet and more shouts as a security guard drags my father from the wing. Rachel pauses as she hears the shouts, and then her eyes well up a bit with tears. 
And she looks at my face and appears to realize something. but She doesn't say what. The shouts continue, but they fade, and so do I. And in comes that heat, as I do. That's my son, Dad says. That's my boy. Let me see my boy. Stop, please. Stop! The police officer had both hands up as my car barreled towards him. Stop! Stop the car! Finally, there was a jolt and a shudder as the tires gained control at last and the car slammed to a halt. Both the officers and I sighed in relief, and then he approached my window and tapped the glass with his knuckle. I lowered it. I shouted over the rain, I'm sorry, sir. Roads are crazy out here. You okay? He ignored the question. I'm going to need you to sit here for a bit, okay? He said, just until the accident's cleared up. Accident? It's bad. He nodded in the direction of the wreckage. And then he said again, just sit tight. We'll wave you over when there's an open lane. And then he ran off into the storm. I scanned the scene. There was a man on the side of the road I saw, sitting on the pavement with a poncho for the rainfall, and his head in his hands. His SUV was totaled. The front end was bent and twisted and hideously mangled. But the other car, the other car was in far, far worse shape than that. I squinted hard and could only make out panels of white immense charred black chunks of metal in the force of the rain, but it was enough. It was a Civic. Oh God. Oh God, no. No, no, no. I got out of the car and I left the door hanging open in the rain and then I ran forward at least until the officer caught sight of me and, and ran back over and grabbed me by the shoulders. Hey! I told you to wait in the car. What are you, Robin? I shouted over him, Robin? And then I saw it, a fleeting glimpse of movement, a white sheet flipped on a gurney. A strand of red hair fell from the right side and hung there as the EMTs carted away the body. Robin? I screamed. That's my girl! That's my girl! The officer was confused and stunned and did the only thing he could think to do, drag me back to my car. No! Stop! I was inconsolable, but in no shape at all to resist. Stop, please! Please, that's my girl! Let me see my girl! Please stop! One of the EMTs, covered in blood from the waist up, turned to look at the spectacle. But then someone shouted her name. Rachel, the doctor says. You with us or what? Let's go. She blinks as she stares at me and then says, Uh, yeah, sorry. I just realized this guy was... Just get the charcoal, please. We don't have time. And she does. She runs off to fetch exactly that. And then I feel a hideously invasive sensation. A tube is being placed in my nose. And then I feel it fall down into my throat. 
I'm too weak to gag. But I somehow manage to clench my fist. A nurse sees the movement, and he holds me down to steady me. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, are you okay, man? My roommate stumbled back as I threw the door open. I charged past him. You're coming in hot, he said again. You good, bro? But I ignored him. I went to the bathroom, and I leaned up against the sink for a long moment. And I gathered my breath, and I grabbed my temples, set my jaw, and sobbed without a sound. Aching, racking, heaving sobs. I heard a knock. Hey, man, he said. You good, dude? Anything I can, like, you know, get for you, or I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all right. I managed. I wasn't convincing in the slightest, but I didn't care. I opened up my phone, and there was text from Robin there from this morning. It read, I love you. And they were all at once the most beautiful and the most painful words I'd ever read. I love you. I love you too. I'm coming. Hang on, baby. I'm coming. Then I backed out and found my dad in the contacts list and typed, I love you, dad. Moments later, I got a response. I love you too, son. You okay? But I ignored it. And then I threw open the cupboard and I grabbed an old bottle of pills, the nurse said. Swallowed the whole damn thing. Lucky his roommate called in when he did. But the doctor was incredulous. Well, that remains to be seen now, doesn't it? Then he turns to the door. Rage! And she pushes it open with her elbow before he finishes. I got it. I got it. I'm here. All right, he says. Fingers crossed, people. Let's see if we can't save a psycho. There are some isolated chuckles. Rachel, though, almost snaps at her superior for the insult. But then someone says, here we go. And then there was a thick, wretched black stuff funneling down the, that tube and down into my throat. I'm almost desperate enough, but not quite strong enough to resist it. And I can feel it sliding and hitting the bottom and pumping and pulsing. My heart rate is erratic. My breathing is erratic. My ability to comprehend the situation is every bit as erratic. I struggle as much as I can against the restraints, but all my effort and all my strength of arms muster up not more than the faintest whimper. But Rachel hears it. She moves to my side and she holds my head and says in soft enough of a whisper that only I can hear the words, don't follow her, Brian. Don't follow her, please, Jesus. I need him here. I need this win. But I began to fade all the same. One by one, as the spikes of the EKG slowly slowed to sporadic pulses, I see the nurses turn to each other and shake their heads. One by one, that is, until there is only a trembling Rachel there, and she's holding on to me tight enough for everyone in the room. Call it, the doctor says. 
just as the darkness swirls in and I feel like I'm starting to fall away, the conversation carries on as I pass. 2.32 a.m., one nurse says. But I can hear Rachel screaming in protest. No, no, he's not gone. There's still time. There's still time to save him. There's, there's still... She was wrong. I was already gone. Her voice and her face, those things are behind me as I pass. They're fading away into the darkness that's consuming me and swallowing me whole and throwing me to the winds. And just when the magnitude of the situation dawns on me, then comes that heat. There's monstrous amounts of it. It rips and tears and scorches and scalds. And I had the ability to scream. If I had the ability to scream out or even to breathe, I would have done so until my throat was hoarse. But there's a new pain, a different pain. A hand reaches out of the blackness and it grabs my left forearm with such mighty force that the resulting pain eclipses that of the heat and the nails of that hand rip right through my flesh and then I'm being pulled and there's a rushing wind. It's cold and refreshing and beautiful and suddenly I'm somewhere else entirely. I blinked. The darkness was gone and the heat with it and that sensation of being devoured. Instead, those things had been replaced with starlit clouds as far off in every direction as the eye could see. But my arms stung like hell all the same. I looked at it. There were nail marks. I saw four deep cuts beneath the inner wrist and a fifth on the side in the shape of a hand. They bled a bit. And then I heard an all too familiar voice. You okay? I stood up slowly and I turned holding my damned stinging arm while I did it and said, Robin. Robin, what, what was that? That darkness and the heat and that it's where you would have spent your eternity, Brian, and I not pulled you out. I had no words other than the weakest. Thanks. You know, she said, holding her own arm. Suicide's not exactly what I meant by jumping off a cliff. I blinked again and took a long, deep breath. Yeah, I guess I didn't think things through. Not sure you fully realize how much of an understatement that is. Well, maybe I don't. But you know what? I'd do it again, Robin. I'm serious. She nearly rolled her eyes, but I doubled down on the sentiment. What I said out there on my street? I'm sorry. I am so so sorry, I, you were right. Love isn't about taxes or headaches or just tolerating each other until we're 70. It's like your mom said, it's about sweeping your girl off her feet, 
It's about jumping over cliffs with someone and not knowing where you'll land and not caring as long as you get there together. And if this is where we land, wherever this is, I'm okay with that. And I leaned in for a kiss, but she stopped me with her hand before it landed. And I opened my eyes. I can tell you've been working on that speech for a while, she said. Over and over again in my head, in the car, until, until I got to the scene of the wreck. I looked at the ground and then back up at her. And I realized right then that if you fucking left the earth itself, then I would too. So here I, I was wrong to, she cut me off. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean you were wrong? about love. I was wrong. My mother was wrong. It's not just about crappy and rom-coms and greeting cards, Brian. Again, I blinked. I know that. I know. It's, it's something you feel in your heart. Something that defies logic and reason, not something you can put on a spreadsheet, just like you said earlier. She sighed a bit and then said, can I show you something? Um, I guess so. Sure. And then she took my hand and infinity rolled in and faded back out. And all of a sudden we were somewhere else entirely. Are, are we on, on the Ferris wheel? Yep. Turn around. I did. And there we were, past Robin and past me on the seat above and behind us. I remembered it like yesterday. We were staring out at the whole city at twilight and the ships in the harbor that were backlit red with the setting sun and the clouds that were lined at their tops with just a little bit of starlight. I rustled in my seat a bit and it moved and past me saw it and looked like he was about to speak. But before he did, past Robin said, thank you for being here with me and got a kiss on the head. What do you see? Robin said. Us, a year ago and change. I remember that day like it was yesterday your mom had just died, so I took you here to get your mind off things. You did? And that was the first day in months I'd felt truly safe and truly at peace. That was love. I know it was. And I still love you. That's this, it's a kind of love, she said, cutting me off again. And it's absolutely beautiful when it lasts. But can I show you something else? Okay. Yeah. She took my hand again, and again, infinity itself rolled in and out like the tide. And then we were somewhere else.
the hospital. It looked like St. Joseph's. What do you see here? I looked around. Nurses running up and down the hallway. Doctors reviewing notes and talking to their patients. I don't know. A hospital? She nodded in the direction of a particular room. Look in there. So I did. There was a woman on the cot. She was emaciated and hairless and deathly frail. And the doctors inside were shutting off the last of the machines. A dying woman, I said. It looks like cancer. Yep. And what about there? I looked down. There was a nurse crouched down in front of the same door and talking to a girl, eight, nine years old, if I had to guess, in silly voices. The girl had been crying, but the nurse managed to make her smile a bit, even as her mother died on the other side of the door. Looks like a nurse comforting a little girl. That's right, Robin said. And that little girl will remember that nurse for the rest of her life. Even if they never meet again or so much as exchange names, as the lady who came to her in her darkest hour and made her smile. She turned to me. That's love too. That's love. Just as beautiful and just as precious as what we had. What's your point? She didn't answer. She just stuck out her hand and with a sad smile, I took it. Infinity faded in and back out a third time. And then we were in the reading room. See that? Robin pointed to the corner of the room and I squinted. Oh, hey, that's Dylan. What's he doing here? He called the ambulance when you didn't come out of the bathroom, she said. He knew something was wrong. And when they drove you off, he followed them here. Been standing there ever since, asking for information on you every time a nurse walks by. He's starting to annoy them. I watched my roommate for a bit, and sure enough, he grabbed a nurse and asked her a question that I couldn't hear. She said something pleasantly dismissive, and he nodded, and then leaned his head back up against the wall and closed his eyes. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea he cared that much. That's love too, Brian. Would you do the same for him? But she held out her hand again before I could answer, and I took it for a fourth time. Infinity blinked. And then I was in the emergency room looking down on myself. I was covered in vomit from the charcoal and the pills, but I was still. I was deathly still. Most of the nurses and the doctors had walked out of the door. But Rachel, she hadn't. She was crying openly now and making no effort to hide it. She reached for something, a needle that looked like or a syringe. What's she doing? You'll see soon enough, huh? Robin said. But that there? 
That's also love. She held out her hand once again and said, one more. And I took it. And then we were in the parking lot of the same place. The rain was coming down harder than ever. Turn around, Robin said, and I did. And then I stopped. There were no words. It was my father in his car. He was holding a Bible up to his chest with both hands. And he was crying in a way no child should ever see their father cry. And that there, Robin said, that's the kind of love that can move mountains. I put my hand up against his window. He didn't seem to notice. He can't see you, Brian. Not from there. I wiped my eyes with the back of my hand. <laughs> okay. I get it. I fucked up. I get it. And then she released my hand, and all of a sudden, we were back in the clouds again under the stars. I wiped another tear before it fell. So now what? It's too late for me to go back down there. I'm already gone. Robin took another step forward and said, maybe not. And she put her hand on my temple and my eyes rolled back. And then I saw it. Rachel and I are on a beach. Our child is playing out in the surf and the sun hits her hair just right. And for a moment, it's made of gold. And then the image fades and another one takes its place, a birthday party. I have silver hair at my temples. Rachel does too, but it doesn't matter. Our little girl is turning 10. And then that image fades too and is replaced by another and another and another, each one yielding another moment where someone loved someone else enough for it to break through the clouds and be seen forever. Even if the moment itself lasted only for a heartbeat. Finally, there is an image of Rachel and myself on a porch as old as we are. And she holds my hand and says, I'm so glad you didn't follow her. And I say back, me too. And I kiss her on the head. And then Robin pulls back her hand. And there we were again, standing out there in the clouds together. How did you do that? I asked. She shrugged. Time has nearly no meaning in this place. I've been here for a while, Brian. And yet, the doctors haven't even left your operating room. Just don't think too much about it. Just think about what you want. That, I said, was, was that my future? She shrugged again. Could be. I don't know what you saw, and I don't need to know. But was it enough? I nodded, and she stepped forward again and said, 
then go and get it. I'll miss you too damn much. There's nothing wrong with missing someone, she said. That just means love lasted a little longer than what ignited it. So go ahead and miss me. You owe me that much. Feel the loss, stand up to the storm like a man and memorize the pain and learn it inside and out and let it roll over you in waves and run its course. And then one day, you'll wake up and realize you have scar tissue where the skin used to be. And you'll be stronger than the grief ever was. I can tell you've been working on that speech for a while. Like I said, I've been here for a while. And then she kissed me one last time. And for the briefest moment, all the little scars and cuts and scrapes and nicks in my heart were filled up and made whole. And she said, you're made up of stars, kid. Now go light up the world. And then she was gone, Rachel. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you a but I shot upright before the doctor could finish the thought. And I gasped for air when I did and grabbed at my chest and with more strength than I'd had in hours, there was a needle in it, a bolt of life to the heart. And Rachel broke down in tears when she saw me. Well, I'll be damned, said the doctor. Welcome back to the living kid. And Rachel, she turned around. Good work made me proud. He left and he turned back to me. She turned back to me and tried to hide a smile while she did it. Hey there, how are you feeling? Better than dead. There was a pause before I added, Hey, I'm glad you got your win. She took my hand and squeezed it. For a moment, she paused when she saw a scar below the wrist that looked like the result of fingernails dragging through flesh. But then she dismissed it and said, I am too. And you'll get yours, okay? I promise you will. I said, I know. And she got up and left the room to go save someone else's life while I took out my phone, opened up the most recent text from my dad and hit reply. I am now. for listening <laughs> I know that was a little long and uh, we did say it was going to be a tearjerker and it was going to be rough but I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as we did I will say that the first time that I read it I bawled like a baby same 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 I, dude I got to that part of his dad being yeah, in the that's car that's where it got me I was like, no, I can't cry. I have to keep reading. It was not All good. the feels. Not, yeah, right in the weenus, man. Right in, right oh, man. in the middle. 
It got me right in my chest cavity. Whew. Oh. <laughs> it was a heavy one. It was a heavy one. But I liked both of those. And I hope everyone who stayed and listened enjoyed them as well. And now is the time for our part in the podcast where we listen to any comments or feedback that was left during the reading. Oh, we got Tina. Let's hear what she has to say. Y'all did not have to hit me in the heartstrings like that with that second. First off, the first one, (laughs) I'm going to need the link to that one. I like that story. I like that. Ooh, I like that game. Now, would I ever do it? No. But I like Mm -mm. it. And then the second one, (laughs) you ain't had me. Y'all had a gangster crying. (laughs) Y'all almost had had me crying. I had a whole whole teardrop about the form. It, it was forming and you mm-hmm. almost got who chop listen so, listen. so y'all- as she was reading that i was starting to tear up even just listening to her read that sue oh man um, yeah. well done that was <laughs> sorry good, to- good thank job. you thank you thank you thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> thank you i appreciate that that I was uh, I was definitely using my feels in that moment and just letting it kind of just over. So, oh man, I'm telling you. All right, let's see what what Tina. So so say. y'all y'all reading more uh, uh uh next week, right? Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, tomorrow y'all doing tomorrow too? Ray, I'll be here. Yeah yeah, I'll be here. Yeah, right right. Okay great. <laughs> Oh my god! I need to emotionally recover after this one. I need right. to get into like a solid I'm week or two now. just to recover. <laughs> right? I'm gonna have to like I'm gonna have to go in there and love all over my hubs because I'm gonna need emotional support, lovings for real. I made that first comment before y'all got to the dad part. I am over here. Mm-hmm. I I cannot recover. Okay, I was I was I gangster cried. That tear came back and it was bad. Yep. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. All right, we got spotlight. When you stopped, I was like, somebody say something. Everybody breathe. <laughs> the Ferris wheel. I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Ferris wheel. When it came back around, man, uh-huh. shivers, chill bumps. The twist, the twist. The author, the author did amazing. The author did an amazing job. My and gosh! As you know, we're going to have all of these linked so that you can come and read them in our Discord. Um, we normally have a link for the Discord above our heads. Uh, but it is, it is not there tonight, but, um, you can find our Instagram and you can find a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, cause we're on Spotify and iHeartRadio and SoundCloud and, uh, Apple podcasts. So if you liked the reading tonight, you can, uh, go and listen to the rest of the podcast that you may have missed in the past. And hopefully you enjoy those as well. So, <laughs> Oh, we've got more comments. Sooth, honey, honey. Uh, 
You can't read no more, man. You can't. It's, it's, no, you can't do it no more. Neither can you, Kelly. No, y'all can't do it because I I was over Why? here crying. All right, I. Who? When he got to the dad, who? Mm. Yeah. 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 Lord Jesus. Oh, that was bad. Oh. Right. In that hit me gut. hard. Right in the gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, it did. I think it hit everyone oh, hard. <laughs> yeah. I didn't need that. I'm, I'm had, <laughs> I just got home. I had a good day. First story was really cool. Second story, as a father of three boys, I didn't need that. We had three warnings, three cautions. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You were warned thrice. <laughs> thrice. Three times. And I warned you like three times before I started the fight. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Okay, Can Robin come back? I'll marry her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm about to cry again. I'm done for the night. <laughs> age of emotion (laughs) 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 and our last comment for the night it's not like I got a choice it doesn't matter what the warnings are I have to I'm I'm in everyone doesn't matter Thank you so much for the support, babe. Thank you so much. I'm sorry to put you through it. And thank you so much, everyone. You guys have all been so wonderful and supportive and awesome. I just want to share the love. Everybody gets love. This is love, too. You see that? That's love, too. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to read my best letter. Thank uh-huh. you all so much for stepping in and listening and uh, being a part of the podcast and requesting that we do this. Um, it was a hit for 31 days of October, and it was demanded that we do it at least once a month now. So one of our paranormal umbrellas is always going to be either a no sleep or a creepy pasta being read by one, if not both of us. So thank you so much for that. And um, like I said, you can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, Apple Podcasts, and soon Google and Amazon Music will also be a part of that. Um, and apparently we're on a whole bunch of other ones too that we didn't know about that we are being shared upon and uh that was a fun google that i did sometimes it's fun google Um, we are all over the interwebs you can't escape us (laughs) (laughs) thank y'all so much tonight and don't forget that we are here every wednesday night for the paranatural cryptid preservation society doing our world cryptids so If you like tonight, come back Wednesday night, and we'll be here at 8, 9 o'clock, Kellogg's time, whatever time that is, because I can't remember. 
Eastern um, Standard and, uh, Time. Those? Yeah, that one. Let's listen to this last comment. I have no idea what of the puka is, and everybody was talking about it. I said, what are you talking about? My dog? Because my dog's name is Puka. P-O-O-K-A. My ex-boyfriend hey. named her Puka because of the cartoon. He's on the animation, anime, and all that stuff. And then uh, I was like, no, oh, I'm going to change it. So I made it P-O-O-K-A. Hmm. So now I have to go back to November 9th yeah. and listen to the Puka tonight. Yes. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You are welcome. It is there for your listening pleasure. And uh, I hope... You uh, get enlightened with some new education because the puka is amazing, and I think you'll be surprised. I am Team Puka. I love the puka, but you know, everybody has a different opinion. (laughs) 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 Thank you all so much for being here, and we hope to see you next week for the Paranatural Cryptic Preservation Society. And uh, catch us again on, not next Friday, but the Friday after for another Paranormal Umbrella. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend. And don't forget to grab the salt, check under your bed for the boogeyman, and say your prayers. You don't want to be caught by the woolly boogers. Have a good night, everyone.